0: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 342 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Friday, September 17th, 2021. Duke has a men's basketball schedule, and it has a commitment from a top flight point guard in the class of 2023. So we have to talk about that. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am coming to you, as I often do, from my apartment in Boston. I am joined not by Jason Evans today, who is, who is out. We are unable to get him on with us uh, to, to talk about these latest developments. But Donald Wine is here. Donald Wine is at home in Washington, D.C. Donald,
1: good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. And, and honestly, I'm very excited that we finally have a full schedule to discuss. And we get to talk about yet another one. As they say in Duke basketball lore, we got another one coming into the Duke Brotherhood family. That's right. Uh, in reference to the the video that Duke always
0: puts out whenever they get a a commitment, uh, where they've got the the DJ Khaled, another one that Kyrie Irving's doing it, and they got all the players, uh, so a lot of former players in that video to announce that there is another star prospect joining the Brotherhood. This time it is Caleb Foster. We are going to talk about him after the break. I want to start though with the schedule that came out. We have every time we do these shows, I feel like we try to figure out what the the headline for today is we got to get that out of the way first and then we want to do kind of the thing that's behind it and i feel like usually if there's a five star commitment we got to talk about that first cuz that is that is a huge deal that is something that is going to affect lots and lots of games for the blue devils but We also got a schedule last night from the ACC, which released the men's basketball schedule yesterday at 7 p.m. We didn't get to talk about it last night. We'll get to do that this morning. So it's a real toss up for me on which topic leads the show today. I think it's the schedule. So, Donald, uh, we're going to start with that. Does that sound good? That sounds good to me. So so we had previously already talked about Duke's non-conference schedule, which, of course, is highlighted by games against Kentucky, Ohio State and Gonzaga. Those games are all away from Cameron Indoor Stadium. One of them is on a, a true uh, road court, which is at Ohio State and Columbus in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. The other two, of course, neutral sites, Kentucky in Madison Square Garden for the Champions Classic and Gonzaga in Las Vegas over the Thanksgiving weekend. So we knew all of that. Some of the things relating to the non-conference schedule as it pertains to questions about the conference schedule— Uh, They don't tend to overlap very much. There are sort of two places in the schedule where we sometimes see a bit of overlap between the conference and the non-conference. The first is usually in early December in recent years where the ACC has scheduled most teams for games early in in the season, sort of before the real conference slate kicks off. Duke is not in one of those games this year, so Duke is going to finish its non-conference schedule before any of its conference games begin. Its first conference game is against Virginia Tech on December 22nd, right before Christmas, although at the end of the kind of run of games after after exams end, Duke isn't going to get as long of a a break this year um, that they normally would for Christmas. So Virginia Tech, right after the non-conference schedule ends, and then Duke has its bye in ACC play right before the UNC game in early February. No non-conference game this year. Uh, it's In past years, sometimes Duke has played teams like Georgetown, Temple, Villanova, games like that, um, that, that'll typically fall in that late January, early February spot in the ACC bye. So that is kind of the the basic setup of the schedule. I could go through it kind of in detail. But Donald, I want to get your, your quick reactions to that structure. And if there's anything else about the, the basic way that Duke's schedule is set up that was surprising to you before we sort of go game by game or week by week.
1: Well, it's funny you mentioned the teams that we normally play in late January, early February. I call that the St. John's exception because we normally play St. John's either at home or at the garden right around that first weekend of February, right before the UNC game. Uh, So we knew that wasn't going to be there. And I am kind of surprised, a a little bit surprised, but uh, looking at the schedule, that break that we normally have where they could insert a game between the Ohio State game and South Carolina State, that there is no game, that there is going to be a two-week break. And we had talked about whether or not the ACC was going to do that when the non-conference schedule came out it's interesting that they decided to wait and place all those games uh, after Cleveland state, after the non-conference schedule is done. So that was an interesting note. I do want to note that there is a little bit of a break for Christmas. And it seems like in previous years, we've seen Duke kind of have like three or four days off where they could go home for Christmas. That was obviously very evident last year where we opted out of a couple of games due to COVID and decided to, Take an extended Christmas break that we did not get in previous years. So, we do have a week between Virginia Tech and Clemson where that's a- allowed. We, we could probably see these guys go home for a few days, which, as we know, is going to be something that's very, very much needed uh, during the season to kind of get that break. The one thing I'm looking at is the week, the last two weeks of the season, we have three road games and then obviously that UNC game at home to close out the regular season schedule at UVA, at Syracuse, at Pitt. Over the course of about 10 days, that's going to be the stretch where the mental fatigue is going to start to set in. And also the pressure is going to start to build, because as we know, this is the last schedule we're looking at, that Coach K will be listed as head coach for Duke University. And those last few games leading up to that UNC game, the pressure is just going to keep building more ever so ever more each and every game. Because, again, for all of these road games that we go to, it will be the final time. That those fans get to see Coach K coach against their team, so I am looking at that as kind of the the murderer's row stretch this year. Usually, it's earlier in this in the schedule, but I think that is going to be the one where we see uh, some it's some potential for slip ups. We'll say that. Absolutely, I was looking at, at the
0: at the same stretch of games because it's tough opponents and a lot of road games. I did want to back up and kind of look at some of the some of the things that we like to normally track in terms of you know how tough is is different parts of of the duke schedule so normally one of the things that i that i look at on the schedule as a whole is where are the where are the tough spots where duke is going to have to play two games maybe in a three game stretch especially if one of those games is going to be on the road those are the opportunities where uh, duke is likely to get tripped up and there are two spots on the schedule this year where duke has has two games in three days. It's typically on the ACC schedule. It's typically the the Saturday to Monday turnaround. And one of them this year is actually pretty tough because Duke is at home against NC State and then has to go right on the road to Florida State. So that's actually going to be tough right there at the end of January. Florida State, of course, is a is a tricky place for Duke to play. Florida State always comes out big for them, so that is is one of the spots that I have circled on the calendar. The other one, before we get to that end of season stretch, Donald, that you were talking about, is the turnaround from the home game or, or sorry, the away game at Carolina at at the Dean Dome is a Saturday night. Of course, a game that everybody gets fired up for, and then Duke comes home to play UVA on Monday night. So the the quality of the competition may be a little higher depending on exactly how those four teams that we just talked about play out this year, but on the road against UNC is always emotional. And then at home against UVA is also going to be emotional. Luckily, that's not a really big travel night because it's not like when Duke plays in Chapel Hill, they have to stay in a hotel or get on an airplane or anything.
1: So the thing about that one, and I circled that one as well, that, that Saturday, Monday window, because one, you're right. They're two of the toughest opponents that we'll face this year in Going to UNC, obviously that game, we're going to be fired up. And then coming home to face UVA, who is going to be in the top, you know, two or three in this conference this year. Having that in 48 hours is probably not something that we wanted. The silver lining of this is that, as you mentioned earlier, we do have that that one week break between going to Louisville and then coming home and then being able to prepare for those two games as a 48 hour stretch, kind of like a Final Four or like a, a Sweet 16 type of thing. They come home. They get to you know rest for a couple of days and then prepare for that as one little mini series weekend worth of games. So that is the silver lining in that. But man, the, the ACC was basically like just put all the put all the ducks in one row and let these guys have it because uh, having UNC and UVA back to back, just the opportunity for these guys to be mentally drained and exhausted after those games is is high. And so luckily after that we have another little window where they can get a couple of days off of rest before they travel to your neck of the woods to face Boston college.
0: Yes. I I was going to mention that at some point that I am excited because last year Duke did not come to BC, but uh, that's okay because people weren't going to games anyway this year crossing my fingers hopefully that people will be able to go to college basketball games this year because Saturday night in Chestnut Hill is just about the easiest Duke game for me to get to uh, at least since I was since I was in Durham so you know prior to to me being there the last couple years I was living out in Colorado where it's impossible to see Duke Uh, they never play out west like that although this year they're going to Vegas Um, but this year they're going to be right down the road from me. Which is uh, which is going to be awesome, and it's a very reasonable Saturday five PM event. So you know I can go go to that and uh, and then get home for an early evening, which sounds uh, which sounds lovely. But leading up to that UNC game, I was going to say that I feel like the ACC scheduling gods decided to uh, reward the DBR podcast this year because normally we like to do sort of an extra preview show before the UNC game to get everybody appropriately excited for it, and this year there's no other game midweek for us to have to recap before doing that UNC preview. So I'm looking forward to us having a, a sort of normal uh, podcast week that week. Duke's schedule is actually, you know, Louisville is, is a tough place to play, but leading up to that game, Duke's got a, a Tuesday game against Clemson, then four days off Louisville on a, on a Saturday, and then a full week before UNC. So no excuses for the Blue Devils not to be rested and ready when they face the Tar Heels the first time in Chapel
1: Hill. And for UNC for that game in Chapel Hill, they are coming off. They will be at Louisville on that Monday. So Duke travels to face Louisville, then UNC travels to face Louisville, and then they both have a few days off. So it's not like we are going to be you know, having you know more than a few days rest on, uh, advantage on them. They set this up where that game is going to be one where both teams are basically going to be well rested, ready to go, and they're trying to make that where that is going to be one of the marquee matchups of the entire college basketball season. And a lot of film of Louisville will be watched that week
0: in the triangle between uh Duke staff and UNC staff both preparing their teams to face the other and you think and they'll the watch that together footage. Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> It'll just meet in the middle somewhere, probably like Walmart or something, say, Hey, let's just watch this film together. Just go It's all yeah, go exactly. It. It's all gonna be Louisville footage. Okay,
0: Donald, I have to ask you, there are there are a number of, of tricky road games. Of course, there are always tricky road games for Duke. Uh, where do you think Duke has the the most likely ch- places to stumble this season uh, on this, on this conference schedule, especially on the road, but you know, at home, we just, I think we just sort of assume that Duke is going to win every game at home or it's, or it's very hard to handicap them because the advantage in Cameron indoor stadium disclaimers, of course, about there being actually fans in Cameron indoor stadium, mm-hmm. but that that advantage is huge. So where on the road do you think Duke has the biggest opportunity to get tripped up this year?
1: So there's a couple of things that I was looking at. And the first one is, at Clemson, then at Notre Dame, uh, that would be December 29th. And then January 1st, January 1st, for obvious reasons, we also don't play well in South Bend. Traditionally, we haven't since the, it, since Notre Dame joined the ACC in basketball. And so that's always a place where I always think, OK, we're going to you know have to be really, really tough to win up there in South Bend. But that at Clemson game, Little John is always a place that we played terribly at. And we have some really big losses against Clemson at that building but also coming off of the Christmas break and coming off of the, to the relaxation and trying to jolt back up into ACC speed before that game, that's going to be the catch. So I see that game as one that could be a potential trip. The second one that I see is at Pitt. At Pitt on March 1st, obviously, Jeff Capel, uh, you know, friend, friend of the program, the brotherhood and everything, but they also play very well. And last year we lost at Pitt, but also, again, looking forward to that game that looms on that Saturday, the final game in Cameron against UNC. Everyone's going to be talking about it from the moment the calendar hits March, and that is March 1st. So those guys have to get past a Pitt team that's not going to be looking forward to any game beyond that. They're just going to be trying to beat Duke. And so that is going to be a nice test for them because Pitt is going to be a team that's very scrappy. They always play very tough, and they don't quit because that's how Jeff Capel likes it with with the Pitt Panthers. So that's what I'm looking at where looking ahead, maybe our downfall at Pitt. And you mentioned that end of
0: season stretch where Duke has three road games in a row there. It's also just chock full of coach K narrative because you know, you've got Florida state near the end of that season. Not that Duke and Florida state have this epic rivalry, but they have had some really awesome games in recent years. And Leonard Hamilton is the, is the other sort of long tenured ACC coach that is still around and been facing Coach K for so long. So that, that is at home. Then they go on the road to UVA, where UVA has been admittedly the best team in the conference the last five, six years uh, overall, I think, with Tony Bennett at the helm. Then they go to Syracuse. Of course, Coach K and, and Jim Bayheim have a very long standing friendship. Uh, that, that really came together over USA basketball, but they've been, they've been buddies on the, on the recruiting trail and out in the world of college basketball for longer than Donald and I have been alive. And then of course, playing at Pittsburgh and Jeff Capel uh, that, that whole storyline, and then finally wrapping up the year with UNC. So you're going to see, you know, if, uh, if, if the Ducators aren't sick of the coach K retirement by the third week in February, they're just going to have to turn off their TVs for, for that that two, three-week stretch because it is going to get insufferable for folks who are tired of hearing about Coach K's retirement because there are going to be narratives on narratives on narratives. I, I agree with you that if Duke is going to win the ACC this year, they really need to get a one or two-game lead uh, coming into that final stretch because there are – I don't know where they are, but I know there are losses at that point in the calendar. Another fun fact that that I thought was was – it, we could have known this before because we knew all the all the locations of these games. But normally, I would say the best place to be a Duke fan during the season, and it, and it always is, is to be in the triangle. So you can go to as many of these games and on the road to Chapel Hill and Wake Forest and wherever else Duke is playing in a in a you know few hour drive of there. But this year, Duke fans in Columbus, Ohio, you have a great schedule for for seeing Duke. You've got a game obviously in Columbus against Ohio State. And you can drive a few hours to get to Pitt and Louisville and Notre Dame. So if you're a Duke fan who lives in central Ohio, I don't know who you are. I don't know that I have any Duke <laughs> friends who live in central Ohio. But if you exist, um, get to some Duke basketball games this year because you've got you've got a lot
1: of opportunities. No excuses for you. And you have to take advantage of these opportunities when they present themselves. Like when I lived, lived in Miami, I got to see Duke twice and, and I was there. I was the first person in line in the student section. For those games, if you're in if you're in the triangle, like you said, Sam, you, you kind of get spoiled in the fact that you can literally just you know roll out of bed and go to whatever game you want. So when a game comes to your town and they don't come to your town often, make sure you get to those games. I will say for the people in the triangle, they have a pretty good schedule this year, uh, at least for the the ACC part. I mean they they have UVA's coming to town, FSU's coming to town. Of course, Ohio State's coming. Or I'm sorry, UNC's coming to town. Syracuse is coming to town. Clemson's coming to town. NC State is coming to town. Wake Forest is coming to town. That is pretty good when you're talking about the, the ACC's slate and what it could be. And you're going to see some pretty cool games in Cameron for Coach K's last year. I'm
0: looking at – I told you I've got the Boston College game on a Saturday night. Syracuse is also on a Saturday night. That's not that far away from me. And then uh, also – and then and then also hopefully the uh, champions classic getting to new york it's it's tough to go midweek cuz that's when that one's on tuesday but uh, we'll we'll see which of those i can pull off in addition to hopefully getting to durham at some point to to go to one of these final coach k games i can't believe that that my last time seeing coach k and cameron uh, might be the the 2019 season but here we are all right donald No more talk on the schedule. I'm sure we will hear more from Jason when he returns to tell us about his takes on this ACC schedule. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to discuss Duke's first commitment in the class of 2023. Stick around. So as we mentioned before the break on Thursday Duke not only got its ACC schedule for this year but it got its point guard for the following year five star prospect Caleb Foster who is a uh, rising junior at Oak Hill Academy committed to the Blue Devils he's 6-5 he looks like he's pretty solidly built for a point guard he is going to be joining John Shire's team uh, potentially as a replacement for Jeremy Roach if if Roach decides to leave after his junior year or if Roach is still around for his senior year which you know, never know what will happen with, with any of these guys. Uh, maybe uh, uh, Foster is going to be a backup to Roach. But, Donald, I wanted to get your take on Caleb Foster's commitment. Uh, what kind of stands out to you about him, and, and what does it mean
1: for John Shire's team? Well, first of all, the fact that you mentioned he goes to Oak Hill Academy, that is top pedigree there when it comes to uh, high school basketball. Uh, Oak Hill Academy has had a bunch of guys, namely from 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 Duke, uh, you have Quinn Cook, who went to uh, most nobody went there most recently. Uh, but here's the thing about Caleb Foster: just looking at him, he has nice stroke, but really it's about his touch. He has excellent dribble drive. He has great touch of the rim, and like you said, he's built. Even though he's 170, he's built where he can finish with contact and absorb that contact and be able to find open men and do what he needs to do in the paint. Literally looking at his highlights, and of course, you know, take with a grain of salt because these are highlights, but. The ball never seems to leave him. Like he never seems to lose control of where he wants to go or what he wants to do with the basketball, whether it's shoot the three, whether it's drive and lay it up or drive a dribble drive and pass. So that's what excites me about him. And it the other thing is we don't get these often, right? We have some guys who commit before their junior year, but very rarely do they commit before they become a senior or a rising senior. So we get to watch him develop in high school over the next two years. And he gets to just figure out what he needs to do to become better and play uh, immediately at the college level. So that's what I liked about him. I'm really excited about this one because again, we're, we're, we're looking into 2023 here and we're looking into two years down the road and we will have a, an established one year of, of John Shire's program. And we'll see how this guy fits into it. But honestly, looking at what he has right now, the sky's the limit for this kid because I always love a point guard who can distribute and also be strong with the basketball, whether on the perimeter or in the paint. And he looks like he can do both.
0: Yeah. I noticed in the highlight videos, a lot of shot making and, you know, take that either way for a point guard, because I think you want to see some of the the distribution more, but I see size and I see shot making, which is, is, you know, a a potent combination for a guy like that at six, five, he's going to be a pretty big point guard in the ACC. And if he has a good shot, you know, even a little bit of distribution, I think, is going to go a long way for him. I think the other point that I brought up, sort of in his introduction, is going to be interesting because if Jeremy Roach stays around for Duke, and I, I don't think Roach is, is a projected first round pick this year, uh, if he's around as a senior, that is going to be a great guy to be kind of tag teaming with. If if that's Foster's, you know, first year in the program, so uh, either he potentially gets the handed the keys you know, right from the jump, or he gets to play behind a very experienced Jeremy Roach, also a DMV guy, not sure if they if they know each other well, although uh, I, I was excited to see, you know, I was looking back at, at Foster's timeline, and he got the offer from Duke in late July this summer. He's, he's really blown up. He's gotten offers from all kinds of great programs, UVA, Illinois, Texas, Louisville, lots of, lots of real, you know, blue blood type places, not Obviously, as good as Duke, but but lots of great uh, options for Foster. Got the, the offer in late July during the, the summer circuit, came to visit Duke in early September, and then committed two weeks after. It was basically an immediate commitment after after his official visit. And the quote that I saw on the ESPN article about his commitment said, I always wanted to go to Duke. I didn't want to waste any more time or the time of others. Like he was, he was locked into this decision. He was locked into John Shire. It sounds like coach K sort of helped close him on, on this prospect. So I'm very excited to, uh, to get him on board right now. He's, he's ranked number 13 in the two, four, seven composite, but uh, hopefully he's, you know, there's, there's lots of time for that to change.
1: I like the way this kid does business, you know, and, and same thing. It seems like, again, as these guys keep coming for their official visits, they keep committing very quickly. Uh, we've seen that in the last couple of weeks with a couple of guys, but literally it's, it's kind of like the mentality of NFL free agency, bring them into the facility, lock the doors, and don't let them leave without a commitment. It sounds like this essentially was happening in the college sense, but I will note this. Uh, Nolan Smith has been listed on 24 seven as the main lead recruiter for uh, for Caleb Foster, which to me signals that, hey, he is jumping out the gates really quickly because as a reminder, he just became an assistant coach just a few months ago. So this was probably one of the first guys that he was targeted to recruit. Everything's, everything's rolling right now. And I think that's the real key here. And that's where the excitement lies is not only is John Shire clicking, but all his assistants are clicking too. And they're bringing in top talent. And Nolan, of course, also
0: an Oak Hill grad. So uh, clearly was not looking far from home to uh to, to find new point guards to bring into the program, so keep in mind uh two recent relatively recent recruits for Duke who went to Oak Hill, Nolan Smith and Quinn Cook, both national championship winning guards for the Blue Devils. So maybe Caleb Foster had that in
1: mind when he committed. It just so happened that Quinn Cook was back on campus a couple weeks ago. just, just a coincidence. Amazing, just, how did that yeah, happen? Funny how that works out. It,
0: it, things that would not shock me is Quinn Cook being on the bench uh, for Duke as an assistant in in relatively short order you know depending on I would, I would on, love to see that the, I, 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 hope it's, I hope is I
1: hope is years from now when he's done with his career and but I That's right. I would love to see him That's one right. day on the on the bench
0: but in the same way that his big brother Nolan Smith basically just slid right onto the bench as soon as his playing career ended uh, would not be surprised if the same thing happened to Quinn Cook all right we are going to get out of here on that note uh hopefully duke takes care of business this weekend against northwestern we will we will talk about that if if it goes well or if it doesn't goes well if it doesn't go well, maybe we'll talk a little bit less about it. Um, and folks, the basketball season is right around the corner, so uh, we are going to be we're going to be previewing basketball a little harder coming up. Countdown to craziness is is just a month away, so get excited for basketball season. Uh, keep taking care of yourselves so that Duke is able to host events with packed crowds on campus and we will talk to you again soon. For Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. Jason Evans not here with us this time, but should be back with us next time we we record. This has been episode 342 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Stay in touch with with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, check out the forums, all of those things. You know how to stay in touch with us. We know how to stay in touch with you. We will talk to you again soon. Duke Band take us home.